you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. That's why my shirt, I have a, like a, called electric green shirt on, but it's really wow. like white and glowing. It's from Ybora City down by Tampa. Tampa? I think so. Miami? I'm trying to think where we were. I think it's by <laughs> Tampa. Wow, it's yeah, a, it, it's bright. It, it's, it's got like internal glow or something. Oh, well. Oh, well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, so... You know, we were talking about things to talk about, and I'm right. looking at it going, wow, we, we kind of have, like, a, an announcement or news to do. I mean, it's like, wow, we're, like, like professional and official or something because there's news <laughs> items. How do we stumble out of that? Yeah. Exactly. So uh, if anyone else was going to go to the event on Saturday, it kind of got washed out, literally. <laughs> Exactly. So I'm really sad about that. You know what I mean? So we talked about this last weekend, a quick recap for anybody listening. There's a cool live Clue game called put on by a company called Clued Up, and they kind of do it in various different cities, and they learn enough about the city to um, have the clues be related to where you live. So it's going to be in downtown Cleveland, right at Public Square, and teams of six try to figure out, like, who murdered someone. I called the Cleveland Ripper, and it's well, it's, I, I've done it one time before, that's why I know a little bit about it. It's integrated with your smartphone, so... As you go around various different places, they're kind of activated by proximity to different Wi-Fi hotspots, and you get to watch videos of people being interrogated or doing a confession or kind of eavesdropping on a conversation or whatever else it might be. And from that mosaic of clues, you're supposed to put together who done it. Well, you have to be outside. You have to be outside and like with your smartphones. And so there it was torrential rain on Saturday morning. And, and it was. You know, it was really coming down. Honestly, and that, you know, if it would have just been sprinkling, I think, well, we'll duck into doorways. We'll right. wear our ponchos and look at our phone within our poncho. No, man, it was like ducks were staying inside. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. It was really <laughs> coming yeah. down. So I'm sorry because we had, I was really looking forward to it. Me too. You know, the six of us would have had a great time. Well, we, I got credit for next time. At least I, I sent an email in time before so that we will. Uh, we'll just do it whenever they do this next year. They seem to do it every year and probably, I don't know, dozens of different cities. As you go to their website, it has, you know, all the places they do it. I'm not sure they do put some work into it. Like I said, they customize it to each location and there's dozens, if not hundreds of teams. So it's a cool business idea and they seem to love doing it. And anyway, hats off to them. Honestly, I never got an email that said, hey, we're canceling. So for all I know, they had... A couple dozen teams still out there bedraggled, but but bold, and we're still doing it. I just didn't think it was the. It, it I didn't think it was going to be as much fun. It was more hassle than fun at this right. point. Once your shoes and underwear get soaked, it's not as much fun. <laughs> Boy, I'll tell you, Colleen and I went to an amusement park once and went on. A, uh, I love flume rides. I love log rides. Well, yeah. her, you know, you, we really got wet. We just ended up like right in the water and. 
I'm big. And so, hey, my extra gravity really drove us into the water. She wrecked a pair of shoes that she really liked. If you get them wet and you don't dry them out correctly, and we were just walking around the entire day, they got so soaked that they fell apart after a couple of weeks. And so forever after, I mean, she buys quality stuff, but we really got soaked. And so I'm always aware of that now that I don't want anything that we do to mean a sacrifice <laughs> of <laughs> a favorite pair of shoes, a favorite right. outfit. You know what I mean? I know I've worn leather gloves and got in a snowball fight and they shrank up to where I couldn't wear them anymore. They were real leather. And that's exactly what happens. If you don't stretch them back out, they just turn into a little kind right. of balled up ball so yeah and well i told you saturday we we in anticipation got a hotel because we wanted to be close so we didn't have to wake up at the crack of dawn and rush to get up there and you know we're we're going to get into the city for sure yeah yeah so uh i woke up myself early saturday morning and i'm still bleary eyed and i stumbled down to the get my free coffee from the you know here wherever and mm-hmm. I'm looking and I'm trying to blink and clear my eyes. I'm like, what is wrong with the water? Because they had an outdoor pool. And I'm like, okay. what is wrong? It's, oh, it's raining so hard. The water looked like it was jumping. <laughs> like fish were jumping out of yes. it or something. Exactly. Man. My so, fog it, brain couldn't figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you guys had a chance to do that little bit of like getaway night, at least. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's Colleen something. and I don't do that often enough. We go to hotels when we're like on vacation and stuff. But once in a while, you just find a little hotel or a bed and breakfast and like go there and nobody knows who you are. And you turn your phones off and you really just get me time. You right. know what I mean? And we don't do that often enough. So, yeah, it, it was nice to do something. We wanted to do the event, but, you know, we've there, it looks like there's some things coming up. So hopefully, you know, we'll get something yeah. here this summer still. Yeah. Uh, um, so for other announcements, though, um, one uh, our friend Ted Sakura has another Kickstarter for Bloom. I think it's actually the third issue of Bloom. Exactly, Bloom number three. I think he did one for each of the first two, and now he's doing like multiple covers, or I don't know if it's reprints or not, but just that he's he's often done that. Back when it was before um, Bloom, it was uh, you know uh, Tap Dance Killer, it was Apama, and I have accumulated quite the set of variant covers and stuff like that because I always support him and and try to get in on, oh, what did I miss from the past? Only, you know, $3 more, sure, that kind right. of thing. So, so yeah. yes, uh, please, people, support Ted Sikora. If you haven't read any of his stuff, it's wonderful. It's 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 well-written. It's well-drawn. It captures Cleveland and a sense of place. And I just, uh, it's so nice to uh, support him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I want good yeah. things to come into the world, and he has had a very good um, run of success with using Kickstarter and, and other, you know, crowdsourcing type things, get his work out into the world. It's really yeah. cool. We interviewed him clear back like episode 39, I believe. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it was interesting because Saturday we did go visit Gina's dad. And while she was visiting him, I was kind of going around a little bit. There were a couple of comic stores I checked out. One was a small hole in the wall, but they had yeah. the tap dance killer trade paperback. So I thought that That's was pretty, pretty cool. cool. Exactly. A little local support. You know what I mean? The fact that, and I, I always used to like that. How I judged a comic book store wasn't always, did they have every Marvel DC dark horse, but did they carry enough of the independence that you knew that they really supported the field, if you will. So that's cool. And I, I did Cassie. All right. Uh, we've got a kid <laughs> moving out as I speak. So um, oh my. They're, they're loading stuff. So, okay. And, and that's Cassie. 
Cassie is their dog and going away, or Cassie is just startled by the activity. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So uh, at this comic book store, one of the things that I thought um, I thought of you, they had a whole selection of the Mad uh, Trade paperback books with the you know reprints and stuff, and I found two of them that were titled William M. Gaines Mad Magazine. So it was real early, like fifties stuff. And, Interesting. and yeah. I don't have a whole lot of that material. So I grabbed those uh, to read through and it's cool because they're paperbacks, but they printed it. So you have to look at it like this, like you turned your phone uh, sideways and you That's have to flip it up that yeah. way. So yeah, it gets more of the, the magazine. Instead of portraits. Exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I was like, Oh, I don't have, but they were both titled William M. Gaines mad magazine. So yeah, I wonder why they're doing the differentiator. I mean, because the earliest Mads were Harvey Kurtzman. William M. Gaines was the publisher, but Kurtzman was absolutely the, the the comedic sensibility behind it all. You know what I mean? For like the first 30 issues, I think, while it was a comic book and made the transition to the magazine. And then there was a little bit of fight for control over exactly what can be published. And not in the usual scandalous way of pushing the boundaries. I think it was that Kurtzman wanted um, more money. You know what I mean? I really am the creator of all these things, so I should be getting... Uh, residuals or whatever appropriate uh, creator, not kickback, you know, reward. And Gaines was, as, as much as he brought this good thing into the world, he was very much a businessman. And everything ever done for Mad was done as work for hire. You know what I mean? We pay you for what you've done, but there's no, um, when this gets reprinted, you get more, like they do with TV and various other things. Yeah, yeah. A number of characters, uh, big creators, back then Kurtzman, but then later on, probably after 30 years, Don Martin left over that. You know what I mean? He was one of the Mads Maddest artists, a very well-known um, writer-creator, and uh, they find they couldn't come to terms about whatever, not only magazine content, but paperbacks that they were publishing and stuff like that. And I don't know. I, I it, it sure is nice now where uh, creators get some share of what they've put out into the world for a while, it went a little bit crazy where the creators, because they knew that all the money didn't come necessarily from quality comic content, it came from character creation. How can I get this character to exist so that it'll be action figures and lunch boxes and all that kind of stuff? And so what they call the Mc, you know, McFarland-Liefeld effect, you know what I mean? Where <laughs> yes. there wasn't a lot of quality writing being done, but there sure was just character after character spun off. And some made it and some didn't, but that's why they did it was so they could make enough money to buy the Hank Aaron home run ball. You know what I mean? That's kind of a, an apocryphal story, but true that when you, when you do keep much more of your win or your earnings, <laughs> you really, there's money to be made. If you sell a hundred thousand copies of something and you get the lion's share, you know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. I mean, in that uh, part of the deal, um, Mark Hamill got was, look, we can't pay you a whole lot cause you're unknown, but we'll give you a percentage of all the garbage that we make. Wow, what a deal. Exactly. That's, yeah. In fact, it's, I, well, there's a couple people, um, from what I understand, Keanu Reeves has done that multiple times where he associated himself with projects and they really they couldn't pay him. He was already enough of a star that he was worth it. But he said, you know, don't worry about it. If it does well, just give me some part of the back yeah. end, not necessarily the X figures. But, and so then he made movies like The Matrix and apparently made a lot of money. And there's right. other things he's been involved in. You know, when, you, when you're a franchise figure for the John Wick movies or the or the Matrix movies, you you can then 
do whatever you want for the rest of, the, of your life because you've got fuck you money. You know, yeah, I mean? yeah. and, and that man is a an honorable case study in himself because absolutely there I've heard read many stories where he was on some movie and he's like, you know, who would be perfect for this other part that I'd love to act with so-and-so and he'd name some actor like well i don't think we could afford him he's like fine take away from my pay and give it to them yeah, so I mean, they can be in this movie exactly yeah. which yeah. you know i'm like wow that's so because from our viewpoint okay if i get paid 30 million to do a movie but i can get paid 25 million and also be with this other great actor okay great yeah. what's five yeah. million once you've made you know 10 or 20 <laughs> exactly you know there, there must be a couple movies that were made kind of kind of under those auspices where people that there's a, there's a huge ensemble cast and they're all pretty big stars in their own right, but they just wanted to work together. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah. you get someone who's really good actor. I don't know, Philip Seymour Hoffman or something like that. Right. And then you find out that a whole bunch of people have always wanted to work with him or wanted to be in a Woody Allen movie or whatever else it might be. And they kind of, I don't know if it's for scale, as they say, you know, whatever the, the regular actor gets, but they find some way of being able to work together. That's not only about the money. And that's a right. cool thing. You right. know, art, art and, and commerce have to collide, but they don't have to be like that one beats the other up in the alley. <laughs> you know what I mean? So. Right, right. Well, Mace Windu in Star Wars, you know, ah, uh, and okay. uh, who else? Simon Pegg was in uh, The Force Awakens. Exactly. Um, and uh, Daniel Craig, he was just filming a James Bond movie close by uh, to Force Awakens and said, I'd love to. And he was a stormtrooper in the movie. So I mean, they just want to do it. But the cool thing with Keanu, I'm sure, is he gets that reputation where he's like, look, I admire your work. I want to work with you. I got paid less so you could be here. That gives right. him a, some integrity. So then it kind of feeds on itself. And people are like, well, Keanu's you know, a great guy. Let's get him because I want to work with him. And I so he ends up that five million. Yeah, yep. he gave up a couple million, but then he like makes tons more. You know, and yeah. because he really is a good guy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I'll, so I'll tell you this. Um, Louis C.K., not um, well thought of nowadays because of some um, odd, um, let's say, peccadillos that he has. Having said that, as a comedian, he was that guy. He often gave breaks to lots of other comics, and he really knew enough of the comic world. So reason for this story is we've been to a number of comedy festivals in uh, Toronto, Montreal, Chicago, etc., um, we went to one in Chicago where he was the headliner, and it was listed as Louis C.K. and Friends. And so we figured, well, it would be a bunch of local Chicago comics, and there's enough good ones. Why not? Well, he comes out on stage, and he goes, you know, they so told me they'll pay me this much money. And he said, well, you know, I won't mind sharing. Can I get a couple of my friends on the bill? And so the bill turned out to be him and Richard Lewis, um, Jake Johansson. It was like people that I absolutely love, and, and he – he was happy to share in that same way. So that that bill that night for like three hours was the best stand-ups working. And it was because he, he did it. You know what I mean? He gave yeah. him a call and said, hey, I'm doing this gig in Chicago. You want to be part of it? You know, you do each of us do a, a good half hour and I'll close out. And, and it was it was a murderer's role of comedy. And it was because right. he didn't just like let the booker play the game. He involved himself. And, right. and he's done, again, admirably to me. A lot of how he made his wealth was he took risks on himself. You know, he put out, I think, a, like an HBO special or something, but it wasn't HBO. It was he put out a special that was available for downloading off the net, and it was very reasonably priced, like five bucks or something like that. So, you know, me and Colleen sitting down, 250 each, if you will, that's better than going to a comedy club. 
Well, then that thing has a million downloads. <laughs> and all of a sudden, he's got five million bucks coming in. And there might have been some charge to, you know, the ISP that was hosting it. But otherwise, he cut out all those middlemen and said, um, you know, if they like me, they like me. And if they don't, if I get 2,000 downloads, then I guess it was an interesting experiment. So right. there's a number of people I really always admire that, where they just kind of step outside the system and say, I, I don't know that I need to give agents and bookers and clubs and everybody else a cut of me. I don't not like them, but it's just, why not more for me? Why not me right. get 80% instead of 20% or whatever the ratios are in that business? It's uh, all kinds of like, written about that. You know what right. I mean? Though? <laughs> and, and with the, the Keanu thing, you know, particularly Gina and I have talked about this is like, yeah. How much money would you really want? Uh, hold on. What? Okay. Oh, sorry. Multiple things. The plumber just showed up on top of a kid moving out Got all it. at you're, once. You're in the middle of the, of the hurricane, the eye of the hurricane here. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we, we've talked about how much money do you really want or need? Uh, because honestly, I don't really have much desire to have a 50-foot yacht. You know, I, I wouldn't mind a, a boat, but honestly, maybe something a little better than I could afford right now, but nothing extreme. I don't care to have a French chateau and, you know, I, it's just, I don't know, maybe if I had the money, I'd change my mind. It's like, well, I've got so much. Why not? You know, it definitely. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but I know you've got some friends on African safari you've been talking about because we were talking about <laughs> exactly um, what we would trip we would like to take that we've never taken and that's where we got on and you've got friends doing that they're on african safari exactly i'll tell you i of course you know for most friends we don't pry into each other's finances i don't know how how what kind of money they've got but the trip was um expensive enough that colleen and i thought about doing it and then said not this year but maybe soon after Uh, and for some people it really is like i I know at least one friend and it's kind of funny because it's money that that's it's not if you, I can start talking about their, their sexual history more than about their money, because that's just America. Having said that, I know one woman that took like an around the world cruise and it was, you know, I didn't, wow, does she have that kind of money? Well, for some people, it's not about the money. It's that like, it's the dream. It's that out of all the things I want to do with what money I have left, man, I get to see 18 countries in, you know, in a month, I get to go all around. It just, I'm pretty sure that that was the case for them that, they, it, it, um, it wasn't that they had money to throw around, but it was more there's no better use of their money to them than to see the pyramids and the, mm. you know what I mean? It, 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 uh, that's kind of how Colleen and I talk about our travels. You know, we've done 40 out of 50 state capitals, and that was a cool thing to do in the United States. Kind of what do we want to do in the rest of the world? So we've laughed about, oh, we should go on like the Objects of Power tour. You know, I want to go see the the crown jewels in in London. I want to go see the Book of Kells. I want to go see it, it. You know, various different architectural or just like where I don't know. Where's the Hope Diamond? Where's the Constitution? Where's the Magna Carta? And have that be an excuse for well, as long as we're here, let's see all the rest of this country. Let's right. It, so, and we're getting to that place of we're we're going to be comfortable. You know, we wanted money is safety. It helps to keep all kinds of um, disasters away. It helps to, to give you, you know, reasonable living conditions and stuff like that. But when you start to have extra, and it, it's funny that you would talk about this because I, I don't know that you're on Facebook as much as I am. We just had a big discussion about this. Many people are discussing it because, hey, we've got, you know, three multi-billionaires going into space. And if you had that kind of money, 
Would you only do that? Or would you say, wow, with Batman kind of money, I could fight crime. With uh, that kind of money, I could like cure world hunger. I could educate a bunch of people. I could eradicate diseases, kind of like what Bill Gates is doing. And so it's engendered a whole bunch of those different discussions about, I don't know, I've, I've made some really good money in my life. But when I was doing it, it didn't occur to me to say, now I want a mansion. Instead, it was, well, what I want is a townhome, and I want to make sure that the national parks are cool. So I contributed there. And same thing. I didn't buy a sports car. I bought a good, a, a nice car, but it was good MPG. And it was, and then I contributed to libraries and literacy. And I hope that, you know, I got a lot of that from my parents. My sensibility is it isn't, I don't want to have it, you know, like fly in space so that I can wave at all the poor people. It's much more like, don't, I want art to come into the world. So contribute to those musicians and those artists and whatever else it might be that might not have as, as easy a time of it. You know, one of the coolest things I ever heard about a long time ago now was the MacArthur grants. You know, yeah, they yeah. survey the world and they say, wow, this person is such a genius that they really might make an amazing contribution to the world. But many people are, they can't fully concentrate on that because they're busy working for a living. They're, they're still doing their own laundry, whatever else it might be. And the MacArthur grant is kind of meant to be Take five years and concentrate. Do whatever you want on the thing that you're going to be great about, and we will put your real-world concerns aside. And I think, boy, I, I don't know why I didn't go work for them. I would have loved to be the that person would have been cool. kind of in the background looking for who's got the next big idea, who really seems to be brilliant and driven and contributive to society, and then kind of just sidle up to them and say, hey, <laughs> here's your next five years for free. Go to it. I, that would have been an incredibly satisfying career to have is yeah. enable those people you know yeah. so <laughs> and, and I, I i think i'm similar to you um you know the way here's the way i figured it if i'm making let's I'm just making it if i make fifty thousand a year and you know i'm going to live let's say 20 more years well that means i need um a million dollars over those 20 years essentially right. so if I win the lottery or something happens and suddenly I've got 1.5 million. I'm like, okay, now I know I have the exact same money as what I would be making. So as if I, I did for 20 years, that's right. right. Yeah. And th then the good thing is what I would do, and you'd probably end up doing something similar is, okay, how can I do this as an entrepreneur, a business and make, make sure I have some income still coming in and enjoy myself. Cause you can do whatever you want. You know, I've that's been right. writing. So I would do things traveling that are revolved around writing and uh, meeting with kids and reading uh, groups for kids and getting kids to write, you know, visiting schools and stuff. But I could expand that from just, you know, the U.S. to all the other countries. That, exactly. I, mean, I would enjoy going to those other countries as part of my business, doing this with kids and doing some of the sightseeing on the side. That I mean, I think. I would be comfortable with doing that. Not, I probably wouldn't be the type of person that's like, Oh, I made this much money. I'm not working ever again. I'm going to sleep in and sit on the beach and jet right. set. I, I can't do that. That's not even enjoyable to me. Yeah. It's like, you know, I know there's a, a famous Warren Buffett quote that pretty much says, unless you can figure out how to make money while you're asleep, you're never going to become wealthy if you will. And so that's why, why I've been involved in um, let's do creative work. That's going to live beyond me. You know, am I going to write the book, write the song, write the, the software system that isn't just the sweat of my brow that's making me money? And same with if you invest, you know what I mean? Your money is working for you. 
And depending on what kind of multipliers you can get out of those kinds of things, it isn't that I'm investing just to have the most money. It's more, well, I bought time with that. And now I can do it similar to what you're saying. If I can do all kinds of uh, presentations at universities, libraries, and talk about, here's what's cool about comic books. Here's what's cool about puzzles. Here's what, you know what I mean? The things that I think have really shaped me and are really a good thing for the world, I'd love to be an ambassador for that. And it not only being the, do I make money equation, but a little bit of, you know, uh, this again, this would be a good life's work if it turns out that, especially as a teacher, as a presenter, you never know who's going to get the germ of that idea and run with it. Right. One of the, the working with kids is that you get somebody coming to you 30 years later and say, you know, I heard your valedictorian speech in high school and forever after that, made me a better person. It's like, right. what? You know what I mean? I never, right. it, it's very cool to know the seeds that you're planting as a teacher or something like that. that yeah, that really absolutely. Amazing possibilities of multipliers and stuff. So, so, yeah. so is going on an African safari, one of your guys's trips and goals? So uh, honestly, and that, yes, I've always wanted, like, there's something about going to real places. You know, when you go to the Grand Canyon, it's not like you see it on TV. It isn't this little, no matter how big your screen is, it isn't the same as standing next to this truly awesome, amazing thing. And that, like that, seeing real animals in the real wild, real elephants, real hippos, real wildebeest, that kind of stuff. Seeing someone put a great quote online that they, they went to where the uh, wildebeests are migrating, I believe the Serengeti. And she said, now I've seen so many wildebeests that, 99% of all the animals I've ever seen in my life are wildebeests. It's that amazing, the number, the swarm, the the incredible, what would you call it? Like, it's an awesome thing to just see that much life, that much, uh, like, they saw lions, like, jump a wildebeest and kill it. They saw lions make love, perhaps in celebration. And, of course, you know, what... <laughs> What, with candles what, and a yeah, dinner you know, and yeah, yeah and it's like you can tell what a like what is i'm I'm a goof i don't think lions really make love al i don't <laughs> i think that they just do it to continue the lion species and you know when a lioness goes in heat she mates like 200 times in the course of her estrus is that the right term and so it's like but but nonetheless it's like they're really when we have been on our trips and we actually saw wild horses mountain sheep um all those kinds of things for up close, it's the scent of it. It's the way you can see them move and the muscles like rippling under their fur. It's it's seeing like a, a, a mama hippo nuzzling the baby hippo. It's just, it's a whole different thing than just watching it. And so that's why I would like to do it. Having said that, it's like, well, I don't want malaria and I don't want, you know, banditos <laughs> to take me for ransom. And so right. I, I have conscious of the kind of trip I'd want to go on is kind of where they're doing it, where it's very guided. Colleen and my trips tend to be, let's get in the car and go exploring and we'll be fine. And I guess in, in most of the United States, I have that uh, impression that I will indeed be fine. I won't find myself in a place where, oh, man, this is a, you know, meth lab and now I'm in trouble or something like that. Exactly. Whereas unfortunately, on safari, there really are poachers. There really are, there's insurgencies. You know what I mean? You go too close to where there's a war going on and your money, your 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 Americanness will not save you. And so that's why... I kind of will never be really in the bush safari. It's always going to be a little bit catered Safe. to and stuff like that. Yeah. But it's still going to be the animals are there. The the dust in the air of seeing that many animals moving. You know what I mean? To see like a crocodile and a hippo right in the water next to each other. And are they going to 
what's going on? The the elephant appears and the hippos actually get out of his way because as big as hippos are, the elephant's really the big guy. I just, boy, they've been posting so many pictures and I'm I'm hardly ever jealous. You know what I mean? Colleen and I go on enough cool trips that it's like, well, you know, we'll do that one day. But on this one, and I don't know, I had some misgivings about, well, it's COVID, right? I don't know that the airports I'm going to go through oh, or that yeah, Africa yeah. itself, what a sweeping, horrible statement, but they're, they're really Africa is not as coordinated in its response. And I really, unless I was vaccinated, and as you know, not only COVID, but you go to Africa and you've got to get a whole array of shots. You don't want to get dengue fever and river blindness and the other things right. that are there that are not really here. So I, yes, yes, I really want to do it. I think Colleen is not as keen on the idea. She, she doesn't like the dirt of it, the noise of it, the possibility like malarial mosquitoes. Yeah. Of it, you know what I mean, I, I just, the, the squat toilet of it. There's all kinds of, um, Colleen often laughs, but there's a little truth in that laugh of like her idea of roughing it is um, no remote control, no turn. That's down. my cousin's idea. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so I don't know if I'll ever convince her. My guess is we will go on, we'll do something like it, but safe as opposed to really being out in the bush. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I'm not sure. I now, uh, now See, I've never been to Africa or any big wild place like that, but growing up when I was younger, I did a lot of trips traveling camping and mountain climbing and hiking and you know a lot of outdoor wilderness stuff uh maybe it got a little burnt out of me i'm not as gung-ho about it you know uh i'm sliding a little more to the look i I just want to go and relax and enjoy the time um i wouldn't turn down an african safari and i would put on the stuff i'd hike in the bush i wouldn't have a problem with that but like you said you have the the concerns and it's almost like taking away from the joy when you're always worried that you're going to get shot in the back or you're going to wake up in the morning with a 106 degree fever it takes away from the just relaxing and enjoy it, you know? Yeah. But yeah. that said, uh, I mean, there, there's probably several things we'd like to do, but it, she asked me, you know, what's something you haven't done you'd like to do? I said, the first thing I'd like to do that I haven't is like take a cruise up to Alaska and explore Alaska. That's okay. one area I've not been to, uh, and I'd like That's to That's a great we, that. we, we We got a 48 out of 50 state capitals. The ones we need still are Alaska and Hawaii, and each of them is not like just stopping by. It really is, let's do a three-week trip to each of them and really explore Denali. Expl- I want to see bears swooping fish out of the out of the river. You know what I mean? Right. I, I would just, I yes, I agree. And, and like also not just driving or flying there, but taking that cruise up and seeing like a a glacier calve off and then the noise of it and the power of it. I really love those cool. ideas. Yeah. I've always wanted to go to Iguazu Falls. You know oh, what I'm yeah. talking about? It's on the border of I think Brazil and Argentina, right? And it's yes. it's an amazing confluence of rivers and, and just the amount of water going over these falls and you can actually get close enough on a couple little promontories that you're just surrounded by this hydropower. And I, I just, I love overwhelming experiences like that, where even if you're like yelling at each other, you kind of can't hear each other because there's, there's the falls, you know there, what I mean? There's still some powerful <laughs> nature out there. Yes, exactly. And, so, and those falls were some of the seven falls they stitched together and used on Naboo in Star Wars Episode One. The big there you falls. go. See, 
we've been to Niagara Falls and I'm thinking, well, something is 10 times this, something is that much more wild and powerful. It's like, wow, I, I just kind of want to experience it. You know, I, yeah. I don't need to go over the falls in a barrel. No. I don't need to be, you know. <laughs> uh, All right. So the, the other thing, you know, I would love to go like some of the areas of South America, but again, those are very sketchy. Um, but I guess Machu Picchu uh, is on our list. We always yeah. wanted to go to Machu Picchu and cool. other like ancient places like yes. that where there's, you know, I'm, I'm so much not a, I'm a, I'm not a supernaturalist. So I don't know that I'll get a sense of, Ooh, there were gods here once, but it is going to be, well, really lived all the way up here and built all this up here in a place that it wasn't easy. They believed so fervently that I want to drink that in. I want to be where there's the ziggurat and the, you know, the that, ruins that. and kind of like, imagine what was it like? This was a sacred place and feel the weight of history. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, I think if after Alaska, I think if I chose, you know, you only get one more place after that. I, I think I'd really like to maybe go to Australia. Uh, and I, I know there's plenty of like dangerous beasties there and other things. <laughs> Um, but not a ten of the most venomous things in the world. Oh, right. in Australia, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that would be kind of fun, though. But but you don't get the the civil wars and rebellions that you get in Africa and South America. You know, yeah, um, more stable. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I can handle wildlife more than people. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I share that too. I mean, Australia and New Zealand, and and I talk about them as if they're the same, and you can just like oh, you get shot. Exactly. But they're definitely, it's definitely a whole different place. You know, the Southern hemisphere versus the North and the, of course, the creatures, they really do have kangaroos and koala bears and Tasmanian wolves and whatever else they have that we just don't have here. And I really, I mean, I don't know if you see platypuses, platypi in the wild, but, uh, and also not just Australia, the Great Barrier Reef. And especially because we're losing our reefs and they're, they're getting whited out. Yeah, there's a whole topic. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of want to see it before it goes away. I, I hope that we will find a way to fix the planet and they'll wake, wake up to what we've been doing. And so maybe there will be, anyway, um, part of what one of our cruises that we were going to be on, the Prague Rock cruise that uh, has now been changed in location and time because of COVID. The first one was actually going to be, the original one was going to be down at the Mesoamerican Reef, which is kind of off the coast of Honduras and stuff like that. And wow, it, it's similar. So you really get to like, um, when you can go snorkeling and see a thousand different species of fish, all of them brightly colored, see some eels and some manta rays and some exotica. I, and it, when I've done it before, I was on one cruise before we actually went to I was snorkeling around and it was an amazing experience. You know, they, as you go down into the water, there's different currents going back and forth. It's not all one current. There's different um, co colors and temperatures to the water. And so I was just, I could hold my breath for a long time, but even then I was kind of getting too fascinated and being, oh, I, I got to go up. I'm, <laughs> I was too busy looking at this wall of eels. It's and not a I video game. You can't reset. <laughs> oh, man. So, but that thing of being amongst, I don't know, all that nature that doesn't really care you're there. To, to them, you're just another like floppy footed fish, you know, with your big fins on and stuff like that. And so I... I, I love going exploring like that. I guess places that I sure don't see them in my regular life in Ohio, USA. You know what I mean? So there, there's a, some of our trips are like that. We still have, besides the nature, we have a bunch of desire to go like all kinds of Europe has all kinds of history. And whereas we have 200 years, they have 1200. Yeah. 
years. And so we, that, that not only, uh, um, there's so much that you can get to in Europe if you're willing to do a little bit of exploring. Get a Eurail pass and go city to city or like, you know, stay in five different cities for three days each and see the cool museums and the cool, uh, you know, ruins or the cool statues, the fountains, whatever. We, we definitely have that in mind, a big European trip, probably more than one, kind of a north, middle, south, maybe the Iberian Peninsula is a fourth, all kinds of things we want to do. So. Now, now <laughs> if I would go over there, the one thing I would have to do yeah. is rent the, the latest BMW and drive the Audubon. I, I got to <laughs> do that. That just, you know. <laughs> I, I have stories. My, my my mom and dad are both from Europe. My dad, Lithuania, my mom, Germany. And we did indeed in the late seventies, make a couple trips over there to reconnect with family and stuff like that. You know, they both emigrated to the United States. We were on the Autobahn one year in a VW bus and one year in a Mercedes. And the way you get treated on the Autobahn, it not only treated, but you have to act is very much status consciousness of, you know, you're not allowed to pass a BMW in your VW van. <laughs> if in your Mercedes, you're kind of obligated to do so. Right. We were on a place where in our Mercedes, we were passing somebody on the left and somebody passed us on the left in like a Lamborghini or a Ferrari because it's a matter of attitude. But like, so, you know what I mean? Like there are two cars over in the wrong lane, but he had to do it because his honor was at stake or something like that. <laughs> It is indeed that there are no speed limits, and it's it's not lawless, but it sure is, man. But, <laughs> and this but, is from 50 but, years ago. You know, this but, is or 40 years ago. The but, interesting <laughs> thing is, uh, if I'm if I've heard correctly, that they actually don't have a lot of accidents because people are conscious of their driving. They're like, I know I'm going fast. I know everybody's going fast. If we right. have an accident, it's going to be 200 cars, and everybody will die. And they're very <laughs> conscious of that. So they're, they're, they, they, they can handle the driving there. I think Americans, even at 55, they want to look at the text and look at their book and put on makeup and shit. And, you know, right. I could be wrong. <laughs> if someone knows better statistics, but everything I've ever heard is that there's very few accidents actually on the Audubon. <laughs> you know, that's kind of funny. There's all these stories that I'm not sure I should tell on a recorded medium. <laughs> you don't know, want to implicate I, yourself. <laughs> I, uh, I, so Hunter S. Thompson, the father of gonzo journalism, once spoke at U of I, and you know he's, he's a wild man. He's done all kinds of crazy stuff. Lived with the Hells, Ams, uh, Hells, Ams, Hells Angels. Isn't that funny? Oh, boy. There's a little difference there, Al. Um, okay. So someone asked him. He was sitting there on the stage, like sipping, drinking from a bottle of wild, wild turkey glass after glass poured and drinking it down. And someone asked him, so what's the biggest high you ever had without drugs or alcohol? And he said, going down the highway, 80 miles an hour at night, no lights on. <laughs> and you know what? That stayed in my head. <laughs> so I was going to a concert at Normal Bloomington. It was in Champaign-Urbana. So I'm going to Normal Bloomington, maybe 90 miles or 90 minutes away. And, uh, my date didn't appreciate this as much, but I got to a place where, you know, it's, it's the prairie. So when there's overpasses, you can, you can tell where the road is because there's openings in the overpass. You're not going to run off the road. You have a target. And I got it up to 80 and turned the lights off. And it, he, he, he was accurate. It's like, 
all this speed, like when you go on Space Mountain at Disney yes, World, yes. something like that, where it's like you're going fast, but it's in the dark, and so everything just kind of like zooms past you. And I did indeed go 80 miles an hour with no lights on. You didn't even didn't... try and hit 88? <laughs> yes, I, I, it, this was before, back oh, in the okay. future. So I didn't have that as a goal to get up to one point, what is it, 1.6 gigawatts? <laughs> <laughs> but she was glad when I turned the lights back on, even though I said, here's what I'm doing. I'm aiming at this. There's no way we can get any trouble. And so, sorry, and Sue. You're not together <laughs> now, so what's that tell you? <laughs> Really? <laughs> well, I, I can't confirm nor deny that there's this road close by uh, that has this big, large dip area uh, okay. that's maybe a tenth of a mile long with heavy tree covering. So it's very, very pitch black in the summertime. I okay. can't confirm nor deny whether it's safe to do that with four people in the cab of a ranger uh, <laughs> in the dark with the lights off. Right. I don't know. So... Again, a, a friend of mine, a good friend, <laughs> once was out in, I believe it was in Nevada going towards Utah. And there's big, long, straight stretches uh, of road. Yeah. And there's big hills where you can get to the top of one and you can see the next <laughs> top of the hill. But you know you're going to be able to get this big dip and so get some speed going. And that's that. my friend told me that that's how you can get it up to 100 without any problem at all. Yeah. So I have been over 100 miles an hour in a car without being on a professional driver on a closed course without being at the right. 500. Well, and, and I think, you know, one of the things, cause I've gotten to test drive some like new BMWs. When I had mine, they invite you to wow. test drive stuff. Okay. Um, and the difference between an $80,000 car and a $20,000 car, as far as the sounds you hear, yeah, it's, it's a rattling itself to pieces uh, aspect of it. <laughs> yes. It's amazing how much after you get used to a vehicle, you can tell how fast you're going just by the feel and the sound around you. You don't realize it. I totally well, understand. Both my yeah. infinity and my laser, I have that connection. So, yeah. so you're your beamer. And so you're, yeah, you're, I'm you're test driving a beamer that's like soundproof. Yes. I don't hear a single noise. So it's very easy to look down and see the speedometer hit 105 and not even know you're doing that. So, That's yeah, amazing. there you go. <laughs> Colleen and I, as you know, we, we've been on big driving vacations and we don't regularly um, try to go that fast. But what you're saying is true. In in like the, the Prius, Red Sonia, you know, our, our, our newest Prius, it is incredibly quiet inside. It's incredibly solidly built. It's all fitted, finished, perfect. And so I, I set my cruise control to be like, you know, 70 in the 70 or something like that. And we just continued to talk without, wow, you really are zooming along. And we're, of course, I'm paying attention. It's not like, and then I climbed into the back seat and let the car drive. You know <laughs> right. I mean? With my toes. <laughs> yeah. But I did when I had, what were my first cars? A Gremlin, a Volkswagen Fastback, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And indeed, when you got it up to like, oh no, 67 instead of 65, the car started to let you know, I am not built either shocks, struts, or in general, my entire frame is not right. built for speed on this road. So and that's exactly when you, you hit that solid bump and you realize that there's no cushioning in your seat. Boy, howdy. Exactly. Especially for you, because you're a big guy. Exactly. So they never tied, it's not the seat. It's when I bumped it. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think I uh, just compressed my neck vertebrae. What the hell's going on there? Three inches shorter. <laughs> like one of those cartoons with waddling around with feet right off the bottom of your chin. Accordion down, exactly. Yes. 
Uh, so, okay. So a couple other announcements. We didn't even get through all the news yet. So it's your eighth anniversary. Ha! <laughs> so, uh, as you know, and I, now I don't know if we've mentioned it on the show before, I won on Jeopardy. You know what I mean? I, I actually... I, I, you lived the Weird Al song. Exactly. the opposite that. of it. Uh, I only won once. I was hardly a Ken Jennings streak, but I did won, win once, and my victory was good. It's so like, you know, I, I got some wrong, and then I came back by getting more right. And at the end, we all three got final Jeopardy wrong, but I had the most scraps left to come away with the victory. I had bet... Um, wisely enough to keep myself ahead of the next guy if they doubled, so I would win. But even then, it was enough, thank God, and, and it really is true. I think if the third-place person would have said, what if they both get it wrong and I just make sure that I'm still above them? If she hadn't bet aggressively, and there really wasn't as much reason for her to have done so, but she did, so I came away, if I remember right, it was the lowest winning total of the season. You know, So <laughs> nothing to brag about except I got to come back. And But it was having... Just um, when I was younger, probably 20 years before, I had passed the Jeopardy test twice in Chicago. You know, they, they take the tour around the United States and you go to a hotel and you answer the questions. And if you pass the first test, then you get to do a little bit of an audition. And I passed both of those things, but I never got the call. And so it's like, I guess they're just not looking for, you know, Al from Chicago, big Lithuanian guy. You know what I mean? I, whatever it was that I wasn't telegenic enough. Right. Well, um, this third time... Clint and I were actually in um, South Dakota on one of our uh, driving vacations. And actually, it was North Dakota because it was Fargo. I took the Jeopardy test online and passed it. And then they invited me to an audition in Cleveland. And I did well enough that this time I got the call. And I'll tell you what, that phone call was like, wait, wait, what, what, what? Yes, I will be there. Yes. And so I got to go on Jeopardy and um, and I won. You know, so it it to be announced the second day as returning Jeopardy champion, Alan Baltus was like, oh, I, this is pretty cool. And I don't know that it was, it's not the high point of my life. I've done lots of other cool stuff and, you know, I'm married to a good woman and I've, I've been places, but it definitely was for any number of people. That really is a big thing. You know, I was on TV. My, my mom and dad were there to see me do well. You know what I mean? My, my brothers were proud of me, all that kind of cool stuff. Colleen was there to see me do well. Um, And having said that, you know, then that I, I, I was more nervous than I have been since junior high. You know, when I was trying out for like, you're a good man, Charlie Brown, and you get butterflies in your stomach and you're going, man, I know this stuff, but my mind is blanking. What the hell? Some weird little part of that happened on Jeopardy where I, I have spoken in front of thousands of people. I've done million dollar presentations. I just don't freeze up in that way. I really seem to be a pretty good public speaker. And I just, I am aware of what I'm good at. And I am glib. Having said that, I, as I was getting like weird butterflies, I'm like, man, I just, I'm not used to this. What do I do? And so I was like taking Digel and aspirin. And I'm like, I swear this isn't like performance enhancing drugs. I'm just worried I'm going to like vomit on stage. Because <laughs> I'm so nervous. I just couldn't believe how nervous I was. And I, if I had to do anything to my, my future self should have said to that self, you know what you got to do is not at all practice your Shakespeare and your Bible and your elements, your periodic table, you need to practice breathing exercises that will calm you the heck down. Yeah. Because if your brain is running nice blue green calm, your brain is mighty and it'll Way do well. Better. You let yourself get rattled if you let yourself get excited. And that's what kind of happened. I blew multiple big questions, like the, the double jeopardies and the you know what I mean, that kind of stuff. And so I kept on amassing a good lead 
And then I would give it back because I'd go for like a true, and it was in a category that I knew pretty well. And so I won't have to go into it. As you might imagine, the questions that I missed are branded forever into my brain <laughs> because there are many number of them that I really know. I know it's Yugoslavia. I know it's the perfect storm. And yet it didn't come out then. And that was so frustrating. Yeah, I'm glad that I won the one time because it was kind of a fluke. If you ever go see a picture of my win, you'll see that I have this biggest exultant disbelieving laugh as I throw my head back because I wasn't cool, calm, and collected. I was like, <laughs> I did it. Oh my God. I'm cool <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and to make it worse when you're, you're there, you're trying to be calm and you know, as well as I do when you, like you said, when you relax, it comes better. You don't want to get uptight. You don't want to get nervous. You don't want to worry about stuff because you work much better. That's the right. minute you do, it all starts going downhill. And I know exactly as you answer a couple wrong questions, you're thinking, yeah, there's like a thousand Mensen sitting on their couch going, who's this bozo? We could do better than this. I knew that one. Hey, this is kind of funny. You know, you tape like three months before it shows. And so I had to keep mum that I, I had been on, but I couldn't tell how I had done. But then on the days that it was airing, I had my watch party. I had a bunch of friends here at a place in Cleveland. And so, you know, for the first day, I'm like telling all the stories about what it's like to be backstage. And yes, I met Alex and he was really cool. And in fact, bear with me. I, I need to share this because um, some part of many Mensons had been on before me. And they all said, you don't want to mention you're a Menson because Alex kind of teases you about it. Right. Oh, you're a crazy guy, that kind of stuff. So I haven't. And, but, and they'd also said that he what they didn't. They weren't, didn't have a great experience of him, that he was a little bit aloof and maybe even in that, you know, oh, you're a smarty way, hostile. I have nothing but great things to say about Alex, Mr. Trebek. He was so welcoming and he's a great showrunner. And the coolest thing that I remember was, you know, while they're taking a break for commercials that you don't just freeze like a statue, they come out, they adjust your makeup. And they had indeed keep powdering me because I was sweating through whatever they're putting on. <laughs> but Alex takes questions from the audience and especially from like kids that he must have been asked that question 10,000 times before. He was so enthusiastic. He was so welcoming and such a decent guy that total hats off to him for being such a good man. You know what I mean? For, for as long as he'd been doing it, he hadn't lost his edge. He hadn't lost his geniality. He was, it was a pleasure to be there with him. And so I indeed do have my picture with me next to Alex proving that I was on set and stuff like that. And, and it's kind of funny. He's not a big guy. So there I am kind of dwarfing him because I'm the Hulk, you know what I mean? But but it's also one of, a fun fact to know and tell about Alex Trebek. He never had to change his um, clothing size. He was the same suit for all of his career. So the discipline that goes into like eating well, working out, making sure that you are, you look, you know, maybe he added a beard or not. But otherwise, he was that same guy for all of that time that he was on Jeopardy. I don't know many people that can say that. That's no, kind of cool. yeah. You know what I mean? Wow. So. <laughs> So well, anyway, that I, I think there's actually some YouTube videos of you on Jeopardy. Maybe we'll link to those for people to. Peruse. That's true. If you look up Alan Baltus Jeopardy, and I think they have it in segments. There's like yeah. three different segments, if I remember right. But this is so after it did air here, I, you're not aware of the power of television until people recognize you on the street because they saw you on Jeopardy, and so it was just the coolest thing. To, I, I tell this as a story, but it, it's a true story. So I went in Chipotle where I like to have lunches and somebody said, Hey, you were just on Jeopardy, weren't you? And, and so the whole place goes, yeah, you did well. And so I was like, hey, you know, what, was, what was my big uh, a reward for being on Jeopardy? I got a little extra chicken in my burrito. Yeah, that nice. yeah. <laughs> and and so, is it not that you're, you're trying to 
necessarily do that. You're, you know, you're not seeking the fame and the adoration, but it is right. fun and nice to get it uh, at times. It, it really it. is. I got interviewed by the, the you know Cleveland's Plain Dealer, and I think by Scene, and it appeared in one, but not the other. One was only online, um, and and like it's it's just nice to be like now that. Whatever that little 15 minutes of fame, I guess I got 22 minutes of fame and I have a little <laughs> bit of immortality because when you look me up, that's some of the stuff that, you know, ego surfing wise, I get to see that it's not Al Baltus is on Facebook and Al Baltus owns a business. It's, hey, Al Baltus was on Jeopardy. Right. And I, my, my thing is still out there for where I set a world record for hugging the most people in an yes. hour. That's like on either page one or page two or three, you know, your stuff kind of moves up and down based on how many hits you get based on Google's algorithms. And so... I don't know if, if those are the kinds of things that someone looking me up was to find out that it's not what's my criminal record or what's my, you know, other terrible things. It's like, wow, I'm Jeopardy and he hugged a lot of people. That's a pretty good life so far. Yeah. And, and going back to something we were talking about earlier, you know, it's not like uh, the, the <clears throat> actor that made the most money from a single uh, minute on screen or, you know, something like that. It, it's yeah, something yeah. that's kind of cool, got some. Uh, interest there, not just a wealth and power thing. Exactly. And I'll, it's kind of funny, you know, so you, you also, after the thing is aired, you wait a little while for your check to arrive, but because my stuff aired in July, I think I got my money maybe September, October. So kind of going into the holidays and it was really nice to be able to get Colleen, like the cool pair of emerald earrings with Jeopardy money. You know what I mean? Just a little bit of a, I've given her many nice sparklies over the years, but that was interesting and special because it was to commemorate hey i made some green you know that yeah. guy that silly stuff like That's that nice. so, uh, <laughs> nice. i think i also got myself probably a box set you know what i mean i, I did reward <laughs> myself a little bit you know yeah of course <laughs> they had a good category that was animal names in rock band and i was kicking butt and and working my way down and then on the last one with Don't Fear the Reaper or something like that, someone else buzzed in in front of me and got the Blue Oyster Cult question. It was like, that was my $1,000 clue. That was mine. <laughs> I forgot that album. I listened to it last night. Well, you know, bringing up the rock, band, rock stuff, uh, yeah. you mentioned, which I didn't know, that there were a couple of deaths recently that were kind oh, of tragic. Boy. Yeah, uh, so I just read, I think yesterday, they announced Robbie Steinhardt is dead. And, and you know, you have to know Kansas in order to know his name, but he was the violinist and vocalist for Kansas. And if you like Kansas, especially those early albums, he's very much in evidence. Used to be that him and Steve Walsh kind of switched off lead vocals, if you will. And I don't know, not many other bands, maybe Ian Anderson had flute in Jethro Tull, but not many other bands, maybe Eddie Jobson for UK played electric violin. And there's some just indicative great songs, you know, him playing on Dust in the Wind. Him, it, it, uh, so he's a big loss. I think he made it to 71, if I remember correct. Which and he, is super young nowadays. It really is. You know, so I, I, um, I'm sad that he's gone because when you see versions of Kansas, there's some original members and some gone, like especially Steve Walsh has retired from the band. And so that, that voice which is really such an incredible rock voice. Some of my favorite songs of all time are what he was able to do. Um, it's sad that both of the lead vocalists are gone. And so now when you hear the songs, they're great songs, but they're not that original, perfect, like Steve Perry from without being in journey. It's just not quite the same. Even if the guy is a sound alike, same with, you know, uh, uh, the various vocalists that they found to replace John Anderson. And yes, they sound really, really good, but man, John Anderson is a wonder. He really is the only guy that sounds exactly like him. 
Well, so having I, said that, <clears throat> and that, that is sad. I mean, I've always liked Kansas. We were back when yeah. I was teen, uh, but of course, for most of my family, they really got they they knew Dust in the Wind, but they really got on the radar because of Supernatural using Carry On My Wayward Son. Carry On Wayward you know, Son, exactly. You know, and 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 that's you know we've talked a little bit about that too. How music. There, there's you get a feeling with certain music that you can equate parts of your life to what music you were listening to and stuff. And Absolutely. when I hear carry on my wayward son, it brings back all those feelings of watching supernatural when my kids were watching it before me, when I watched it and caught up and watched it with them. And then when Gina and her kids moved in we were all watching it together, you know, so that one song brings up a whole lot of feelings. And, yeah. and you were talking about, you know, being memorized and, you know, outliving yourself, you know, there's a good testament. How many people have listened to Kansas, but not only that, but the the show that people loved and they used that music, how it brought Kansas in the forefront again. Again, exactly. You know, they're, it's kind of, boy, I really love them. There might be one of the bands that I've seen the most time, really? you know, they, cause they kept, they were a working band, even while probably they peaked with point of no return. And they kept on making great albums. And that's always one of my kind of like causes. You know what I mean? Like if you stop with Point of No Return and you've never heard Monolith or Power or In the Spirit of Things, I, I get, honestly, I'm getting like goosebumps with how good those albums are. And and that I kept seeing them, even though their venues got smaller. You know what I mean? They just weren't the stadium rock anymore, but they were a working band and they toured every every year, every other year. So I saw them like at rock clubs as well as in stadium. I remember seeing them at, at <laughs> Wheaton in Illinois as a summer festival called Cream of Wheaton. <laughs> and, and one of those things where I love bands that they aren't disaffected by, we're not the stars we once were. They came out and did a great show and, and just they smoked the place. You know, too much music, too much sound for the relatively small stage they were on. And they, they were all, you know, they had such a great back catalog that when I would go, it wouldn't be like, I'm going to hear their three hits. You would hear a dozen, 15, 20 great songs. And I would just, I'd walk out of there like exhausted, sweaty, because I was playing air keyboards, playing air guitar on every single song. I just love them. And it, we, we actually saw like their 40th year anniversary tour, went to Pittsburgh to see them. And we continue to see them. And in fact, I think they're going to be in Marietta, Illinois in November. And at first when they went on sale, they had to move it and I had tickets but I gave them up because of COVID and I didn't buy them again, but I just, I so much want to see them again. I've never been unhappy at a Kansas show. Fantastic. Also, Steve Walsh, who I mentioned, if here's, we talked about like, you know, obscure albums that I don't always try to speak of. Everybody knows Left Overture, for instance, that's Kansas's biggest album, Point of No Return. Steve M has a solo album called Glossolalia that is fantastic. He's not with Kansas, but with a whole bunch of other people from like Dream Theater, other great prog players. Oh, wow. They're like, I get to play with Steve Walsh. Cool. And Kansas albums were always beautiful, really well arranged and really beautiful. Whereas there's a little bit more of like, there's harsh, there's dissonant elements to this. There's harshness to it and beautiful things. You know, he always was a very evocative songwriter. So that's one of those albums that when I play it, I kind of like, I want to hear that again. I have no albums, pretty much none, maybe like Thomas Dolby's Astronauts and Heretics, where immediately after hearing it, I'm not, okay, that was good and I'm done. I'm like, I just want to recapture some of how good that is. And so Glossolalia, can't give it a high enough recommendation. It's fantastic. We'll link to it. (laughs) 
Six stars. Exactly that. Six out of five. (laughs) Uh, And then the other one you mentioned. um, Yeah. So pretty big too. About a month ago, um, Jim Steinman died. And uh, even more, if you will, a little bit obscure because he wasn't even a band member, but he was the songwriter for Meatloaf. Yeah. And that first Bat Out of Hell album, as you know, it took the country by storm. I think it's like a 10 times platinum or something. It put Cleveland Records on the map. It just is. And another... I've always liked, like, he wrote great songs, but because he, he had this ability to say, you know who would really be good on this? I need Todd Rundgren on guitar on this. And so he'd call Todd up and say, and so Alan Parsons did this where his first album, Tales of Mystery and Imagination, had like 200 different artists where he just had this incredible musical mind that would say, I need this guitar and this voice and these keyboards, and I want that style, if you will, and to put it all together into those beautiful things. So that's what that first Meatloaf album is all about. The, the reason, not only that it's got those great operatic songs, but because it's got Todd Rundgren and Kazem Sultan from Utopia. It's got um, Roy Bitten from the E Street Band, Springsteen's keyboardist. And like, and, and I'm trying to think, maybe also, um, why am I blanking on him? Uh, the drummer for the E Street Band as well. Darn it. Uh, it'll, it'll come to me. So just, I can't tell you how many times, like in college, that was the the album to put on if you wanted to like get up for the for the football game. You're going to go out there and you know play some intramural football, and man, if you can just get Paradise by the Dashboard Light, that'll just rev you up. I couldn't take it any longer. Lord, I was crazy. You know what I mean? It's just... that's one of those albums that <laughs> you you won't get nowadays because the kids want you know just the the singles, the hits, and that album was just from front you know beginning to end a complete album that just every song in it was as essential as the next one. That's a great way to put it. I, I always had that concept of a perfect album. Yeah. It's not a couple hits with filler. Every single song on that album, Matt meet uh, bad out of hell is fantastic. Every single song on sticks equinox is fantastic. And, and I, I don't know. There's, there's only so many that are like that. I robot by Alan Parsons project is every single song is rock solid. Excellent. You know, that kind of thing. Right. So, so. Yeah, he, he he was involved like low key without lots of people knowing him in a lot of rock throughout the ages. Uh, That's I mean, really Meatloaf true. being the you know big one, uh, he was like yeah. the, the fifth Beatle at times. Exactly. One of the one of the sad things for Jim Steinman and Meatloaf is that they kind of had a falling out, and so even though they worked together on like three more albums, Bad Out of Hell two and three, as well, and also some other individual songs. They didn't work together consistently, and so much. Jim Steinman look look for that big voice. He also worked with Bonnie Tyler, you know, on, on Total Eclipse of the Heart and other things where he he needed that meatloaf voice to do the, that operatic, strong vocal and stuff like that. And then when they weren't working together, the two of them were less each than the, the right. both of them together. You know what I mean? Right. So how sad, but that's just that's rock and roll sometimes too. Is that oh well. <laughs> to, to be one of those stars you got a little bit of ego there yeah yeah it's uh i'm i'm really pissed that i can't come up with uh the drummer because i love him he, we'll he was uh, he was the drummer on uh for uh not david letterman for you know i don't know I'm, it's kind of funny how i have all these little bits that i throw out there that i'm not even thinking about and then when i try to summon one it's like why is that escaping me because we you know? brought up jeopardy so like you maybe that's it exactly <laughs> now i'm re-experiencing you know it's yeah. like i got the yips like i can't think of it so right oh, right well. Yeah. all <laughs> so right well before we go to them yeah do what just that farewell to them 
You know, yeah. it's one of those things that they, they were so much a part of my life. And, and like the lyrics, sometimes the lyrics stay with you forever. You know what I mean? Like certain songs that you almost use that as a quote and, and to think that there's no more coming from those people. Like he also did the soundtrack for a movie called Streets of Fire that they're, they're, it's just, oh, well, I'm sad that they're gone. And I think Steinman was not even 71. He might have been wow. in the 60s maybe. And so we lost him early. You know yeah. what I mean? Oh, well. Oh, well. So. <laughs> well, before we go, a uh, slightly up, more upbeat note, uh, you've been bringing up jigsaw puzzles for weeks, and we haven't even touched upon it. Uh, <laughs> I am not a huge jigsaw puzzle person, though we do have some that we like to pour out and sit around as a family, uh, snacking right. and putting them together. But I'm not usually uh, one that will like, oh, I think I'll go put a jigsaw puzzle together. Uh, Interesting. See, I like them. I think there's a part of your brain that gets exercised in a different way doing them than anything else. It's kind of like meditative. It slows you down. It, it, um, it lets you tune in on detail and from little bits of information, find things that match. And, um, it's a very simple thing that when the rest of the world is often buffeting you with multiple inputs and you know what you should be doing, it's kind of nice to not only sit down and do it for an hour or two, but just whenever you walk by to, uh, put a piece or two. Look at it and say, and pick out a piece and put it in. And I especially love that, where it's like, I was looking for that piece for a long time. I didn't find it. Then I went and like did something else, went to the bathroom, folded laundry or whatever. And then I come back and there it is, boop. So how does your mind do that? That it refreshes so that your senses are retuned and that, and especially when you do that, where you walk up, Mensa often has jigsaw puzzles out on tables in the game room. And as you might imagine, one way to endure yourself, to, I'm sorry, to, to, to uh, get your Mensa friends to hate you is to walk up to a puzzle they're working on, just put in a piece. How? I, I was looking for that for 20 minutes. Like, it was right there. It's got the blue from the sky, and then you got that little steeple. And <laughs> so, well, I, uh, the, the, the sight thing right there, I think, because we hear a lot. It, I'm doing some paranormal supernatural investigation stuff with Gina. It's and Max Colin. Weinberg, by the way. Max Weinberg That's, is the see? Sorry. See, I, I knew. There Come on, go. Brain. Just stop thinking about it. My five file clerks will put it out. Back to you, Steve. Anyway, um, <laughs> and, and we, we talk about the, the supernatural and paranormal, and we have all sorts of thoughts and opinions, what is and isn't. Um, but going on the assumption that there is something, uh, that there's quite a lot of reports of kids seeing things, but they get dismissed as imaginary play friends. Or, mm. um, you know, uh, just they're, they're just saying this or whatever and adults dismiss it but there's also some evidence to show that as we get older our brains get adjusted to the world so really when you see things your brain filters what it wants to pass on and not so there's things you don't see and that's the old you know when i wanted a bmw suddenly i started noticing all the bmws on the road that's funny you don't and, see what's there you see what yes. you intend to see exactly, exactly. So, so that's i think kind of the same thing that your brain may see the pieces and be putting them together in the back of your brain. But because you're so focused on it, it's like cutting off the input. So you have to relax and let, let it flow. And, you know, we've seen that type of thing in, in you know, in testing or on jeopardy sure. or coding and figuring out a problem. You know, we've talked about that. I can't figure this out. I'm taking the dog for a walk 10 minutes. Oh, I got it. You know, Exactly. So there, there's something I think that should be studied more about that type of thinking. Well, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I've talked before about, I, I love a book called Flow, 
by um, you know Mihai Chiksent Mihai, and he talks about that 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 ability to um, kind of defocus from the detail, but uh, put yourself so much into the work, the thing that you're doing, that you become one with it, and you get hyper productive, and you by avoiding distractions, it really you get different things to happen, and indeed jigsaw puzzles are one of those things that just like when you're playing music you can summon all i'm going to do is concentrate on this and it's like you'll just start and you'll you'll fill in an entire row almost like you didn't realize you were doing it you know what i mean that you just okay you're looking for this little tab and this color and then you look over and that looks like a good prospect and boo and and in fact um one of the things that was interesting about covid was apparently jigsaw puzzles were flying off the shelves a lot of people by being more stranded inside they took that on, and I I always like not just a standard jigsaw puzzle, if you will, where it's just a scene, but I like things where it was. Oh, and it's a maze that now you can solve oh. after you've completed it. It's yeah. um, I I, I like they, they took this was I think it was called the puzzler. It should have been called like Satan's puzzler. They took a jigsaw puzzle. Each of the color pieces was a different color, and then the way they cut it was like rotated ninety degrees, thirty degrees, whatever, so that. You were putting things together that were fragments of the pieces that were really the puzzle, and it really was perfectly misleading. Whatever it is that you think, this has got to have a little tip of red on it, but actually it's just kind of on the edge of it, folded under on the cardboard or whatever. And how many times I found a piece that was like, I just never would have picked that piece, and yet that's the one that fits. What's going on? So they found a way in an optical illusion way of how do people's perceptions work, and they did they tweaked it just enough so that it was not twice as hard but like five times as hard. and you really gotta enjoy <laughs> doing puzzles to move up to that like advanced level i mean i've exactly. seen puzzles where it's like two different pictures on each side so when you dump the pieces out you got to figure out what side to do exactly and everybody always does like you know you first do the frame whether it's round or, or square and i i know that at one point all the rage was things like it's just red little red riding hoods hood was the name of the puzzle or it's an incredibly complex thing where it's like um, there's a it's a um, needle in a haystack, and so it's all kinds of straw and one needle. But of course, right. all the straw looks like all the rest of the straw. Right. It really was difficult in a way that you know there were some Springbok. Springbok used to do a whole bunch of great puzzles like this. I don't even know if they're still around. They might be um, where it was like it's op art, so that depending on how you look at the piece, it reflects differently. And so even how you had your pieces arranged on the table was its own little trick. Wow. And man, I just, uh, we, I have, we grew up, you know, my parents loved doing them as well. My mom more than my dad kind of, but that was just a very standard thing in, in the, the wilds of winter when you were locked inside anyway, especially like between Christmas and when you went back to school, we just got new jigsaw puzzles for Christmas, kind of a family thing. And they would work our way through them. And my mom, of course, liked the one where it's like 18 kittens. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> she's a mom, <laughs> you know, and that kind of thing. And I, I like the ones where it's like, okay, now it's a um, it's a crossword puzzle. You solve it, and then there's actually a crossword puzzle. And it's made of the stuff where you could solve it in grease pencil, not write on it forever, and then wipe that away so somebody else could have that same wonderful experience. And I, I just, they were ingenious, Springbok was, with all the variations on a theme that they put together. Really cool. Yeah. So, so... Uh, were jigsaw puzzles like in hard to find because everyone was buying them? That's what I was reading. Um, and in fact, um, there's actually somebody created a service where much like they have other things where you, you rent movies and then return them. They actually bought like a warehouse full of jigsaw puzzles. And instead of just selling them, 
they said, join our club. We'll send you a new puzzle every month or two weeks or whatever your frequency might be. And but they made sure, like, I don't know how you do this, but they built all the puzzles to make sure that no pieces were missing so you wouldn't get that level of frustration. And it was because they were so much in demand that they found a way to tap into that demand that you didn't have to mount your own collection up and haunt the used bookstores right. because they were sold out of all the regular stores. You know, at, at, I think it was, it was a big rush, according to whatever game store groups I belong to, that suddenly jigsaw puzzles were flying off the shelf. Huh. Exactly. So, in so that I while, wonder if now that the demand has died down a bit and they're like a surplus. And that's what I think. If you wanted to pick up jigsaw puzzles that were 15 bucks and now they're a buck, just start doing that. All the people yeah. that are turning the ones in <laughs> that, right. they, that they got through. You know what right. I mean? Interesting. So, yeah. 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 Well, I know we've got a whole bunch downstairs. I mean, Gina got me one a couple years ago that was really cool. It was uh, covers from the Star Marvel Star Wars comic book, and it was all sorts yes, of covers. Yes, exactly. And we put it together. We hung it up. So we kept that. That's cool. I have never done that. I've never solved a puzzle and then like shellacked it. I've always just like kind of put it back in the box so that maybe one day, and I have a couple like that, you know, where it's comic book characters or it's um, white mountain puzzles, I think, does all kinds of cool stuff where it's like, here's um, 40 different cereal boxes, all, you know, kind of arranged. Here's different old candy. Here's, they, they, they found ways to do all the various different themes. And so then it's kind of like a wonderful nostalgia trip of like, man, I haven't had a bun bar in forever. Here it is in the puzzle, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I don't know how many we have in the house or in the storage locker, but it's well, a lot. It looks like you got a couple right back there. Behind you. <laughs> Let's see, do I have jigsaw puzzles here? These are calendars actually. Oh, oh they look like, okay. Yeah. It's yeah, boy. It's kind of funny because they're right behind me. We haven't talked about that. I tend to have like a dozen calendars in the house. I think it's nice to have new artwork every month. And because you get them after the new year starts and you get them on sale for like half off or five or right, three or right. one dollar. And so I just kind of get, where's my Calvin and Hobbes? Where's my uh, Marvel superheroes? Where's my mathy one? I have certain ones like ancient maps that I return to every year that I just like them. I like Dali. I like Magritte. So I look for the art calendars of my favorite artists and stuff like that. It's cool to have those in the house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we covered right. a lot. Exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, some things on our list this time. So, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah, I, I wrote them down. I was trying to keep through it. We didn't, we, we didn't get the Simpsons and South Park yet, but that could be a longer discussion. That'll be a too. deep dive. Exactly. Yeah. That'll be, okay. So, there's something to entice people to come back. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. All right Always well, a pleasure, Stephen. You take care. Have okay. a good week. You bet. Bye bye. You have been listening to the Relentless Geekery Podcast. Come back next week and join Alan and Stephen's conversation on Geek Topics of the Week.